Welcome to Bedtime History. A big shout out to our new donors on Patreon, Violet from Markham, Ontario, Canada, and Quentin from Los Angeles. We're super grateful for your donations, and that puts us two steps closer to our goal for a bonus episode. For every 10 new donors, I promise to do an extra episode, so that leaves only five new donors for that bonus episode. To contribute, go to patreon.com forward slash bedtime history. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash bedtime history. Thanks again for all of your continued support. So this is part two in the series about the life of George Washington. If you missed the first episode, be sure to go back and listen to it. For everyone else, a reminder was that we learned about George Washington's childhood and that he was born and raised in Virginia on his family farm. He learned a lot about what it takes to take care of a farm and later became a surveyor, someone who travels the land making maps. Then a war broke out between the British and the French, and eventually, with George Washington's help, the British drove the French out of the Ohio River Valley, and George went back to taking care of his beloved plantation. George spent a few years doing the thing he loved best, being on his farm and seeing it grow and improve, but before long, trouble started to grow in the colonies between the British people who lived there, the colonists, and their king. Even though they lived in the New World, America, they were still ruled by a king, and over time they started to be unhappy about this for many reasons. One reason was that in order to pay for the French and Indian War, King George and his parliament decided to raise taxes on certain items the colonists bought from England, such as glass, paper, tea, lead, and paint. A tax is when you raise the price of an item, and then the king or government keeps that extra part. In some cases, taxes are very useful if they benefit you and your community. But in this case, they were just going back to the king. The colonials were very upset about this, and leaders such as Benjamin Franklin started writing letters and trying to unite the people against the king. A group of businessmen met secretly to figure out ways to stop the taxes. They became known as the Sons of Liberty, and they decided if the people boycotted these items, the king might stop the taxes. To boycott means to not buy something. Soon there was so much trouble in America that King George sent 2,000 soldiers to try to create order and scare the people. But this only made things worse. In 1770, after a scuffle between soldiers and colonists, a soldier opened fire and five people died. A few years later in Lexington and Concord, the first battles broke out and the war began. This became known as the American Revolution because the Americans were revolting against their ruler, King George and the British Empire. In the beginning, George Washington was totally opposed to war and wanted to make peace with England. He didn't like the taxes and other problems, but hoped they could find a safe way to work together. In 1775, he joined the Continental Congress to try to help make peace, but after the battle at Lexington and Concord, he came to believe that war was the only way to break away from England. When he visited the Second Continental Congress, he was dressed in his military uniform to show that he was prepared to lead the people into battle. Soon George Washington was made General and Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army. Even though Washington had fought in battle, he wasn't prepared to take on an army as big as England's. He had never commanded large groups of soldiers or artillery, but he was courageous, determined, and smart enough to figure it out. This is what made someone like Washington unique. Even though he didn't have all the skills yet, 
he wasn't afraid to study it out and learn on the job. By March 1776, British warships were in Boston Harbor, and the British troops controlled all of Boston. Washington and his army devised a plan to chase them out. During the night, on a hill overlooking the harbor, they placed cannons all along Dorchester Heights and pointed them down at the ships. When the sun came up the next morning, the British looked up to see the cannons and realized if they didn't move out of the harbor, the rebels would sink all of their ships. In response to this, King George sent even more soldiers, the largest group of British soldiers in its history, to stop Washington and his army. Their official name was the Continental Army. The Continental Army was made up of colonials from the 13 different colonies that had joined together to fight the British. Most of the soldiers had never fought before, so they had very little training and experience. They were mostly just farmers or very ordinary people who wanted to be free from King George's rule and be their own independent country. The Continental Army also didn't have very good gear or weapons, only what they brought from home, and didn't even have uniforms most of the time. Remember, they were fighting against the biggest, strongest army in the world, who had better gear and weapons. No one believed the Continental Army could beat the British Army. In August 1776, the British Army invaded New York, and the Continental Army lost a very big battle, and were chased out of New York and across the Delaware River into Pennsylvania. They lost about 2,800 soldiers, which was a major loss. General Howe, the commander of the British troops, could have chased them, but instead waited in New York. He wasn't worried about losing, so he decided he and his troops would just settle in, get cozy during the winter, and take their time. But George Washington wanted to win the war, so he wasn't going to get too comfortable and devised a plan. But before he went into action, Washington read something to his soldiers. They were the words from a new book called The American Crisis by Thomas Paine. It went, These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Then it read, The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Then on Christmas night, 1776, Washington and his entire army sneakily crossed back over the freezing cold Delaware River. After they reached the other side, they hurried to Trenton, New Jersey, and captured the soldiers who were enjoying their comfortable Christmas evening. The British couldn't believe they'd been tricked by Washington. The Continental Army dodged the next attack by the British, then attacked back and won a major victory at Princeton, New Jersey. At this time, it looked like the Continental Army might win. But in the summer of 1777, they lost a major battle in Philadelphia and had to retreat. For much of the war, Washington's strategy was to attack and then retreat, and stay hidden and then attack and then retreat. He had to do this because his army was much smaller, but he wanted to keep the British on their toes. At the Battle of Saratoga, a different part of the Continental Army, led by Horatio Gates and Benedict Arnold, beat the British at the Battle of Saratoga. Here the British had to surrender 6,200 troops, which was a major loss for King George. When this happened, France, who had been watching the war closely, realized that if they jumped in and helped, the Americans might actually win. You can imagine how excited the French would be to see the British lose. But soon it was winter, and Washington and the Continental Army had to hunker down and wait for their next move. 
They made camp at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and the six months of waiting through the winter became some of the toughest for the Continental Army. In Valley Forge, the army of 11,000 built small cabins and dug trenches around the perimeter. Soon it looked like a small city. Some of the soldiers' families stayed with them. The Continental Army always had less gear and food than it needed, but this was especially hard at Valley Forge. At one time, there was very little food, and many of the soldiers lacked clothes and shoes to keep them warm during the winter. The most dangerous enemy to the troops ended up being not soldiers, but diseases such as influenza, which took the lives of 2,000 soldiers. That is one in six that was living there. But George Washington tried to make the best of the time by training the soldiers. He did this with the help of Prussian military officer Friedrich Wilhelm Baron von Steuben. Von Steuben drilled the army daily, training them to march in four-column lines, reload and fire their muskets faster, charge with a bayonet, and better use artillery. Valley Forge became the birthplace of a more organized Continental Army as they continued to train and become better soldiers. In June 1778, the Continental Army finally got a chance to show off its new skills at the Battle of Monmouth, where they attacked the British Army on the move. Over and over they performed better, attacking like a more organized army, and even though the battle ended in a tie, it was clear the Continental Army was now better prepared to take on the British. In 1781, George Washington led his army in one of the most important battles to retake, Yorktown, Virginia. He had a better army and was now backed up by French soldiers and the French Navy, who brought 29 warships to the fight. The British Army defended Yorktown the best they could, but they were no match for the combined American and French forces. Finally, they had to surrender, and Yorktown was back in American hands. But before long, King George saw... Before long, King George saw that they could not win, and the British army packed up its soldiers and left the colonies for England. Americans cheered in the streets, celebrating their victory. Soldiers finally got to return to their families. America was now free to rule itself and decide its own future. But in many ways, the battle was not over. America now had to come up with a plan for government and work out how it was going to survive without King George's laws and army to protect them. What would they do? To be honest, I only planned on George Washington's story being two episodes, but I found myself so caught up in his story and the story of America, I realized there's so much more to tell. I probably hadn't mentioned this before, but the American Revolution is one of my all-time favorite history topics. So next week I'll release the third episode in the series, which will be about George Washington's presidency and the formation of the United States Constitution. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.